The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet, and we are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios here. And our entitled intern, Provolone, is manning the production elements of the podcast. We've got a great show in store for you today, a great podcast in in store for you. See that provolone? I would have gone back in the radio world and edited that out most likely because I messed up on the word show when I said shore. So we got a great show in store for you today. I wish I was on the shore, but I'm not. I'm in the snow. So we've got a great snow for you today. And actually that makes sense down in Texas as well as they were blanketed with God's dandruff, as we used to say in my Catholic school upbringing, as I, many of you know, I was a former altar boy and uh, went to a Catholic school growing up, so that explains a lot, as I was spoon-fed fear and guilt my whole life. Anywho, that's a different topic for a different day, because today we've got John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. He'll be joining us on the Bakken Barbecue phone lines in just a moment or two to talk about NAEP. Summit 2020. He's down there, boots on the ground. We're going to get an update from him what the vibe is like, what's happening in uh, speakers and some exhibitors. Well, exhibitors uh, starts today, but uh, Clark Energy Consulting, John Clark with an update from NAEP 2020. All right, Jim Willis will join us as well from Marcellus Daily News. I'm sorry, the Marcellus Drilling News. See, I would have edited that out as well if we were on the radio because I, you know, brevity, we have to, we're, we're, we're part of a system and part of a role. We have to know our role in radio. You know, there's news and weather and commercials and people call in and other things. Podcasts, a little different. Podcasts are a little different. People have to choose. People have to choose the crude life over Ron Burgundy, fictional character who has a podcast. People have to choose the crude life over Mario Lopez's podcast who used to be on Saved by the Bell. People have to choose my neighbor's cat's pet toy's dog who has a podcast. That one is the best out of all of them. So... Thank you very much, folks, by the way, for choosing the Crude Life podcast. Continuing on, Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News will join us, and he'll give us an update from the Marcellus Utica, as well as Michigan, the state of Michigan. We talk a little bit about some energy activity happening there. That's a tease in the industry, folks. A tease. What's going on in Michigan? Michigan? Who said Michigan oil and gas? What the? Who's the? Who's the? What? So we'll talk with Jim Willis about that as well. He's got a great website, by the way. Uh, Marcellus Drilling News. MarcellusDrilling.com. Check it out. It's it's very, very... uh, He's he's got a journalistic background, you can tell immediately. So uh, he's a big fan of the show. We're a big fan of his. And he's a regular contributor here on the Crude Life podcast and also the Crude Life brand in general. So... Uh, Marcellus Drilling News, Jim Willis coming up a little bit later. And then to close the show, Matt Cruz, Huskerland Oil Field Service, talks about how short-term pain equals long-term gain. 
And uh, there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's kind of the nuts and bolts of that. So what else do we have going on here today, folks? Well, I do want to mention our sponsor here in just a moment or two, which is BMA Biotech, because we love our sponsors here because they allow us to keep the lights on. And when we keep the lights on, we're able to tell people how those lights continue to stay on through educating them and informing them and entertaining them the best we can because, you know, sometimes you have to entertain, but you should almost always educate and inform while you entertain. Otherwise, you know, the Internet's just a, basically a bunch of flickering lights. So we try to do all three. Uh, you know, we don't always succeed. Sometimes meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad, and we got to accept that. But sometimes... Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Can we take the second one and not the first provolone? No, it's podcasts, so we're not editing. So it, it's like live. It's recorded, but it's live. Okay, because in, in radio, we do live. And in television, we do live. And streaming on the internet, we do live. So if you mess up, it, it didn't happen. It's part of the show. But what, what, we're, what we've decided in our podcast meetings that you run, this is a recorded show, but we're going to treat it like it's live. Okay? No, that has to do with resources. <laughs> that has to do with resources, buddy. That, yeah, that has to do with... Um, more about resources than time, okay? We'll just, that's another meeting for a different day. By the way, folks, in case you're joining us here for the first time, thank you very much. Provolone is our oil and gas uh, intern. He, he comes from an oil and gas family. His mom and dad own a modest oil and gas company. They were a little bit concerned that he was majoring in entitlement at the university. Therefore, he's interning here at the Crude Life because they want him to learn, you know, hard work because we're like every small business out there trying to figure out how to make five bucks out of two bucks. You know, we're, that's, that's, that's not news to anybody out there listening to this podcast. For The Crude Life, for crying out loud, is the name of the podcast. So it's in the name. Um, also, Mama and Papa OGC, oil and gas company, they wanted their child provolone to really get an understanding more than anything about the respect behind the industry. Because during the 90s and into the early 2000s, the aughts, there was low oil prices. And so there wasn't a lot of hiring being done. So there's essentially three or four generations, you know, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, uh, to a certain degree, are being hired in the industry right now. And so there's like a vetting process, but there, there's also this environmental movement and this, this social engineering that's happened over the last 30 years and 20 years that we need to understand the industry was built on relationships, not on platitudes. And provolone, this is important. This is, this is, I mean, if, if, you, if you were worth your salt as a producer, you would put up some like nice music right now. And because this is a moment, man. The industry was built on respect for the land and relationships with the people. And that allowed the industry to be a major part of community building. And anybody who has an entrepreneurial spirit that spends five minutes in an oil and gas community 
feels that energy in five minutes. And that's what happened to me, Provolone. So Mama and Papa OGC want a little bit of that to rub off on you. So you're not going to speak today because we have to keep things moving right now. Look at this. We're like seven, eight minutes into the program. And I want to get to our first guest who's down at NAPE eagerly waiting on the Bach and Barbecue phone lines as we sit here in the Hatch Coaching Studios to give us an update from NAPE. And I want to speed through headlines because Jim Willis is a font of information and he's a, he's a very treasured guest here on the Crude Life podcast. So we want to be very respectful with his time as well because time is actually worth more than money. That's true. You're going to learn that here at the Crude Life Provolone. So our sponsor today is BMA Biotech. The music you're hearing is the Moody River Band. Folks, if you've got a local singer-songwriter or a regional band or somebody who would just like some airplay and they write their own music, uh, they can certainly send it here to the Crude Life. We do a monthly artist feature. It's our way of bridging, reaching out, and, and extending our hand to non-oil and gas people. Those who are not working day-to-day in the industry, we want to show them what type of uh, community we have as an industry, if you will. So uh, Moody River Band is uh, great supporters of our program and our platform as we are for them. So in fact, they give away their music for free. They don't even sell it. That's how much they love music. So uh, it's their own original music. It's, it's get up and dance. It's funk. Uh, they like to do the street fairs and the, and the, and the big you know, conferences, thousands of people type thing because they do. It's, it's a get up and dance type music. They're more interested in getting butts in the seats to their shows than they are about, and actually not butts in the seats, but just getting feet on the dance floor uh, so they give away their music for free. A lot of artists do sell it, and so we do promote it because we, you know, we want you to be able to buy their music as well. But these guys give it away for free. So the links are available at thecrudelife.com. So John Clark, Clark Energy Consulting, coming up in just a moment or two. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News. Matt Cruz with Huskerland Oilfield Services to close the show. BMA Biotech is our sponsor of the day. Our event, of course, is NAPE, which we're going to get to in just a moment or two. And the Moody River Band is our music spotlight, our crossover music here at the Crude Life, our Crude Life crossover. That's the name of it. Okay, so uh, let's get to John Clark here with Clark Energy Consulting with an update from NAPE. John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. Mr. John Clark, thank you for joining us. Part of our OG brief, but this week, instead of doing a weekly update, He's right in the thick of it, boots on the ground, right there at NAPE. In fact, you're there a little bit early. And in fact, before we get to NAPE, no, let's get to NAPE and then we'll get to the FRAC conference and then we'll get back to NAPE or however you want to do it because you're a busy man and your, your brain is probably fried today after absorbing all of that important information from the speakers and trying to network and trying to kiss babies and press fall, fall, uh, palms and the whole deal. So uh, how are you doing today, by the way? Hey, Jason, doing great. This is conference week for me, so I've been doing that and more, you betcha. Conference week, yeah, baby. So you're down at NAEP right now as we speak. Uh, let's start with the beginning of the week because I know you were at that big frack conference. I mean, that I, I must have talked to a half a dozen people last week that asked me, are you going to be at the big frack conference? 
So uh, talk to me about the uh, week and the week of conference week. There we go. Talk to me about conference week. That's right, Jason. Yeah, yesterday I was at the Hydraulic Fracturing Technology Conference, which is hosted by the Society of Petroleum Engineers up there in the woodlands, not too far from where I grew up. Um, it's one of the conferences I go to every year. I, uh, I, I tend to see a lot of familiar faces. I was actually pretty surprised with the turnout on the frac services side. There was quite a few booths. The morning started out a little slow, but as the day progressed, man, I was actually surprised to see the turnout. It was a great turnout. So I uh, went around the exhibition floor, shook some hands, handed out some cards, and uh, yeah, really um, dove into it. There's you know a lot of uh, the major frac companies were there. There's a lot of small and mid companies too that had booths, even some that don't, and plenty of happy hours afterwards to mingle. It was a great time, and uh, honestly, I was a little bit surprised to see such a good turnout. What was the vibe like? It w- the turnout was good. That's a great sign. Uh, or I mean, you know, it's a bad sign. Nobody's working. I I take it as a good sign because, uh, you know, there's a lot. This is a, a very heavily attended conference time, and especially down in the southern states. Even though you guys have snow right now. Uh, talk, talk to me about the vibe a little bit. I'm sure it was mixed, but I mean, you know, because listen, at the end of the day, there, there's still a ton of oil being pumped out of the ground from Texas to the Bakken. They're, they're still pumping a ton of oil, but there are some companies that are also uh, feeling the pinch a little bit too. Uh, that's no secret from the headlines to just, you know, the cafe talk. So what 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 are you hearing down there firsthand? And, you know, what what are some of the issues and solutions people are coming to terms with yeah you know it's uh there definitely were some companies that didn't attend this year and and some that have dissolved uh over the last year the companies that were there from what i heard after speaking with them uh have really honed in on their customer base they've found good customers that have been repeat customers that have their niche have constant activity and are to, in a better way to say it, you know, not flaking out uh, with some of the other oil companies that don't have budgets to spend. So uh, these service companies have gotten smart. Uh, they've had to understand their consumer, uh, focus their product service into uh, their niche market and really focus there. And I think those that have done that have done well. Are people talking about how to turn two bucks into five bucks again? I don't think we're there yet. I okay. think it's still battering down the hatches, but... I, it, it's know, still turning into the yeah. normal three bucks. Okay, we're still just yeah, at, at, at right. the normal turn two bucks into three bucks mode. Okay, that's good. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, all right, good deal. Uh, let's transition over to NAEP, unless there's anything else from the uh, hydraulic fracturing conference that you think, uh, you know, that, that you took away maybe from a speaker or you took away from the uh, exhibition floor or maybe a new trend or something like that. I guess just kind of give you kind of a, a, some final thoughts on that conference before we transition into NAEP. Yeah, you know, I think some of the you know trends that we saw from last year are still the same trends. You know, this year and as far as fracking goes, local locally available frac sand is the predominantly used you know material. Frac plugs are still a large you know portion of the market. There's plenty of suppliers there dissolvable frac plugs uh 
is you know a pretty large trend. There's a couple of new entrants to the market there. Generally speaking, um, you know most of the new technologies from last year were the same new technologies this year. Transitioning to NAEP, where you're at right now for conference week, John Clark, Clark Energy Consulting on the line with us here. Today was more of the speakers, I believe, and, and the presentations and that sort of thing. Tomorrow is the exhibition time where actually when people are listening to this right now, because this is a obviously a taped uh, interview. So uh, talk to me a little bit about what you heard today at the uh, exhibition or not the exhibition, but some of the speakers and some of the uh, presentations. Yeah. So today was the global business conference and there was a full day of presenters, panels, a keynote speaker at lunch and uh, ranging from business banking, consulting, ENP, midstream service companies. So really covering the gamut of oil and gas and I met quite a few people from out of town, too, so not just local here to Houston. A lot of people have come in from out of town early for the conference. Um, you know, I think one thing I would like to echo from what I heard is that, the, obviously, this year has become volatile. The market started out pretty hot and plummeted pretty quick with coronavirus being a, a mentioned scapegoat, I would call it, for the reason in the fall, but... Uh, you know, and meanwhile, Tesla soars. There's kind of this theme in the marketplace, uh, and and when you look through this through a certain lens, you tend to look through it, uh, you know, in in the same way of negativity. It seems from what you hear on the news, um, that's the short cycle, you know, attitude. Uh, you think about the midterm and the longer term aspects. There was a lot of good points brought out from presenters on. You know, the supply and demand fundamentals, um, the China deal that was made. So you kind of look past some of the noise and, you you know, you start to feel a little bit more optimistic. Obviously, there's, you know, deals that will be making tomorrow. And, you know, one concern from some is that the market could change between signing and closing as quickly as it's changed in the last month. So we don't know where it's going to go, but for certain, we need oil and gas and there's one, you know, the keynote speaker was actually from Parsley Energy. He spoke about how our industry is being so disliked by millennials and Gen X and how a two-thirds of teenagers think that uh, oil and gas is harmful for the environment. And this is kind of, you know, the brought on by the media, uh, but... You know, having worked in oil and gas for over a decade myself, having helped our country double in production, we haven't gotten any patents on the back for doing that. All we've really done in our success has created more media noise. And, and so we, what we need to do as an industry is be vocal about the successes we've done, um, growing our resources while reducing emissions, but still recognizing that we have to control our pollution and facing that fact, and companies are starting to do that. Uh, if you're familiar with the acronym ESG, was brought up quite a bit, environmental, social, and governance. And there are oil companies starting to face this uh, head on and really starting to focus on ways that they can reduce flaring, uh, control their water resources, and uh, Parsley, EOG, WPX Energy, a couple of names that 
have put out sustainability reports that actually face that fact and 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 also speak to you know our successes and we really need to be vocal out there and industry share with our friends just like you do on the crude life um you know of the, the good things that we've done for for the globe and providing power for the world um you know reducing infant mortality rate so all these good things you don't hear in the mainstream media but our industry needs to you know buckle down and start speaking about it just like we're doing today so uh it was a good conference really uh you know saw a lot of different perspectives i'm just kind of filtering through short medium and long-term cycles i think tomorrow will be a great day for the exhibition uh i'm I'm certain there will be plenty of deals there always are there may be a changing of the guard from you know as the larger public companies are selling assets there's definitely opportunities for private equity and so i think um we'll see what uh, tomorrow brings for deal making but obviously nape stands for the north america prospecting expo so there's a lot of people here um that are looking for deals and a lot of land brokers and so uh yeah it's uh, should be exciting week so matt gallagher uh he was the president for parsley energy who spoke correct that was matt gallagher that's right yeah i thought i saw his name as the keynote and uh, he's, he may be actually coming on this program um, uh, either this week or next week, depending on if we can get it lined up. And I'm glad that you mentioned that to me because I'm I, at, now that's the interview to me. Um, I have been very vocal since probably several months ago about how we've been trying to broadcast that message for almost three years now. And we felt like it's fallen on deaf ears within the industry about the millennials and it's even beyond the millennials. It's, it's, it starts with the soccer moms, a lot of them to where they're the ones who have kind of taught the millennials um, to be somewhat prejudiced against oil and gas to where you can go ahead and troll on social media and it's, and it's accepted and you can, you know, do say derogatory things and, and it's accepted. So I'm very happy to hear that he was able to speak at such a prominent platform, if you will. I mean, I was speaking at it last summer at a couple conferences, and I'll, I'll be honest, man, I, people in the industry were staring daggers through me. Now, other people were coming up and saying, thank you, this needs to be said. This is something that has been bothering me. And so, you know, and, and you know how it goes. Um, John, when, you, when you're one of the first ones to, to be out there, you're, you're taking arrows and slings and that sort of thing. So I'm happy to see that some of the CEOs and presidents are starting to uh, face the facts that that's true. Now, that doesn't have to remain that way. Did he offer any solutions to it or just basically ma- ma- make an awareness uh, proclamation, I guess, when it comes to uh, the pu- public uh, perception of energy and oil and gas? more of a proclamation but but i think having talks like this you know are you know a first step in doing that type of thing and um i have you know my younger brother he's eight years younger was considering a path in oil and gas and and uh he you know reconsidered and 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 there i've heard that time and time again and there's even days where i wake up feeling like oh man watch the news it, it just seems so negative but our industry has had a done a poor job in the past of communicating what we've done and 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 just you know kind of jim kramer 
uh, from Mad Money this week said oil and gas is like the tobacco industry. Well, tobacco doesn't fuel your car, doesn't power the world. And, and we've done a poor job in the past of speaking at how we actually help solve world problems uh, rather than, you know, just let the mainstream media, you know, stab stab at us. So. Um, the, the, yeah. the, that's where I think we're, we, we've fallen off, though, because I saw that report. We put it on our social media. We talked about it as well. And I also saw that defense that you just said, which is, you know, uh, tobacco doesn't power our cars and that sort of thing. And th- that's where I think as an industry, we, we almost are too reactive because really what Jim Cramer was saying is that it's the new kind of leper of society. It's the new... You know, people who smoke tobacco, you, you have to go in the alley and, you know, you have to go out to an island like, like the lepers were. And that's that's what I think he meant by it in the world of public relations. And so I do think we need to do a better job of, of connecting. And, you know, it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to do that when you're the big bad wolf and when you're damned if you're doing, you're damned if you don't. Because at the end of the day, everybody needs energy and they'll... They'll, they'll be very quick to say, I will not go 30 days without my cell phone. And in reality, they can't even go 30 day, 30 minutes without fossil fuels. And that's, I mean, that, that, but, but they don't think like that. So, um, do you know what I mean by that, John, where it's yeah, just, yeah. you know, it just seems like we're, we're so quick to defend when I think we got to almost take a step back and say, okay, what's the new approach here? Because, the the informational approach for some reason isn't working um they 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 look at it like it's a turd sandwich and they can show you a website with a thousand things inaccurate and they're going to believe that over you know your (laughs) your scientifically proven document you know and so um anyway i i i I, yeah not to interrupt but as you know a solutions driven conversation about climate change and how we can face the ways we can improve and, and actually leveraging technology. That's one piece I didn't mention. There was a big talk about leveraging uh, technology and, and data analytics and how our industry could actually do a lot better and in, in applying technology as far as digital technologies to help uh, you know come up with cleaner solutions and including using satellites to monitor methane links, drones. You know, there's so so many new technologies that we can use. To, to make oil and gas cleaner and, and any investment in, in something like that is, is also a good investment. So um, that's what I heard today and glad to share it with you, Jason. Well, all right. Great talk. A little sidebar action with our conversation this week and even a little ed- editorialization there as we, we get into it. But that's what's happening, the conferences. So it's conference week and John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting. We appreciate the update from the Hydraulic Fracturing Conference and then, of course, NAPE as well. And uh, when you're back in the office and, and you've got your website and everything, give people the information so they can uh, stay up to date on your newsletter and your OG briefs and the, and your website and the whole deal. Right, yeah. Go to ClarkEnergyConsulting.com. You can uh, check out the OG brief. And if you'd like to book a consultation with me, I'd be happy to to speak to uh, anyone that wants to know. Thank you, John Clark. And of course, that interview can be found in its entirety at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. I do want to mention today's sponsor, BMA Biotech. We're very grateful for their sponsorship. They allow us to keep our lights on, which 
In turn, while we keep the lights on, we can entertain, educate, and inform the masses out there about how those lights stay on. BMA Biotech is a diverse company which develops a wide range of oil field chemicals and oil spill remediation products as well as providing a wide range of environmental services to the oil and gas industry. They provide their clients with cost-effective and sustainable solutions for their oil field chemical and environmental needs. BMA Biotech's advanced oil field chemical range is 100% biodegradable within 75 days and considerably reduces risks of health, safety, and the environment. For more information, visit bmabiotech.com. That's bmabiotech.com or visit the Crude Life's podcast show page for the links there. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees, the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. That's right, sitting here in the Hatch Coaching Studios. And coming up next, we go to our headline segment here on the Crude Life Podcast. This is a daily feature we do, and I'd like to not do it daily, but provolone ins- insists that we do it daily. And I'm cool with that because provolone, our entitled intern, is in charge of the podcast because I am an old man that does radio shows. I do news magazine radio shows, and I yell at the newspaper for crying out loud. And you know what, provolone? I mean, you're a bright guy. I mean, you're, you're a good-looking guy, and you've got your whole future behind you, man. Oh, wait, that's me? My whole future is behind me? Okay. Yeah, you're not allowed to speak today. You know that, right? Okay. So headlines, what this is, is headlines is we take three headlines every day, and we read the headline, and then the first two paragraphs, we make our judgments, our assessments, and then we move on with our life accordingly, because that's what the average person does in today's world. That is what social media and the USA Todays of the world have done. They, they've made us into two paragraph readers, and that's if you even get past the headline. So the headline is very important, and the first two paragraphs are very important too for the direction, the narrative, and the I guess, you know, just information, if you will. So getting to our first headline. Oh, this one's fun because this one, I I actually am following this story. New New Mexico Governor Michelle Luann Grisham, Permian Basin Oil and Gas, a main driver for policy. New Mexico Governor Michelle Luann Grisham vowed support for the southeast corner of the state as the economic driver to support her numerous legislative priorities during the 2020 session. Luann Grisham met with members of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, known as the Bat Brigade, Tuesday at the Roadhouse, discussing the needs of the region and how it fits into her agenda. Well, that's good news, folks, because the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce is doing their job. That's what I got out of this. Listen, listen, New Mexico Governor Michelle Luann Grisham, she's going to tell 
whatever she wants to whoever. Uh, a week ago, we were doing headlines, and the headlines were blasting her because she wasn't supportive of the oil and gas industry, okay? And you know what? She might have some secret agenda going, and she might be waffling back and forth, this and that. I don't know. I don't know her. I have no idea what her policies are in terms of what her true policies are. But what I do know is she's in politics. So good for you, Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, okay? Obviously, your members spoke up to you, and you did what you're supposed to do. People pay Chamber of Commerce's associations, organizations to go put political pressure on the political parties when it's needed. And guess what? In New Mexico right now, it's needed. Go to thecrudelife.com and listen to the interview with Kathleen Skama from the Western Energy Alliance. And she says, and I quote, I am so glad you asked me about New Mexico because she had a lot to say about New Mexico. And part of it was, where does Governor Michelle Luann Grisham's loyalties lie? Because again, go to the crude life. Our motto for 2020 is ready for anything. Okay. Well, ready for anything, not with okay in there, but ready for anything. So listen, we, we want to have fun, but at the same time, we got to work hard. We got to work a little bit harder this year in 2020. Unfortunately, that's the reality of it. You got a 16-year-old with Asperger's being anointed, time person of the year making existential fear cool in kids. You got parents driving kids to protest, taking them out for pizza afterwards. You got to work a little bit harder this year. Good for you, Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, for stepping up to the plate and putting some pressure on Michelle Luann Grisham, the governor of New Mexico, because guess what happened, Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce? You got a story in the paper, which then went on the internet, which then circulated around and ended up on the Crude Life podcast, where we use esocentric energy. We throw out the script and we just heal the masses, the millions and millions we heal with our esocentric energy. That's right, provolone. We are organic, baby. All right, let's go to the next story. See, sometimes we get a little wild here in the crude life. It, it's fun. Oil and gas industry leaders meeting with IoT experts in Alberta to discuss industry issues. What's that, Provolone? Was I napping again? Yeah, these, these stories are boring to me. Leaders from the Canadian oil and gas industry are set to speak with a large number of players in the IoT space to discuss innovative solutions to the industry's issues with the event scheduled for February 13th at the Hotel Arts in Calgary. So, listen, I'm not even going to read the next sentence because it's, again, it's, it's another plug for what's going on. And anyone that is still talking about IoT coming to the oil and gas industry is is really, um, what, 2010, 2015? 2015, we'll say, 2015. Because back in 2012, I think I did a story on Comply360, uh, Kerry Frank, uh, and, and their integration, what they did with the um, aviation industry. She secured 70% of the aviation industry by taking black boxes that weigh 85 pounds full of paper and putting it onto an iPad. I mean, just the reduction in gas 
Actually, true story, just the reduction in gas from removing the 85 pounds that the pilots had to carry the black box of information, the manuals and stuff on, that actually had a significant savings, enough to make a dent on, on a pro forma report or a weenus report or whatever they're called. I don't know the corporate reports. We, we, we have our own system here, provolones, learning. Small business does not mean corporate America. <laughs> totally different filing systems and, and everything else. But uh, when it, here's the deal, folks. When it comes to IoT and it comes to uh, technology, the future's already here. And the story should be how the integration is happening and, and what the hurdles have been. That's the story. The story isn't that IoT is coming. Let's, let's, let's get together and pat each other on the back and brag about whose software is more exclusive than the others and better. Because every, hey, everybody's got the best at everything they do. It's the best of the best of the best of the best. You don't even have to ask them. They'll tell you. You can ask, hey, who won the Super Bowl? And they'll tell you. Their IoT is the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And if they're in blockchain, oh boy. I've never seen people since Moses part a room like blockchainers. I mean, they walk into a room and it just parts it like the Red Sea. And I like blockchainers. And even I got it. It's like when the vegan people step in. And I'm a vegan, so I know all about that. I don't even let people know that because you don't have to say anything and people just leave the room. Okay, where are we at here next? Uh, and by the way, folks, I've, I've adopted a highway back in 2004. So I, I was way ahead of the curve on that. My friends call me the corporate hippie, to be honest. It's true, Provolone, because I actually recycle and I have. I mean, I've been doing eco stuff since 2004 on record in databases with computers. Okay, let's get to the next headline because um, this future stuff, it's kind of in the past for me now. So let's get to the next headline here. Behind McMillions, the thrilling new series exploring the stranger-than-fiction McDonald's Monopoly scam. If you played McDonald's mega-popular Monopoly game in the 1990s that offered spoils like new cars, vacations, and even a grand prize of a million dollars, turns out you never really had a chance to win. At least the big-ticket items and prizes, anyway. Maybe you peeled off a game piece that earned you a free French fry or a Big Mac. But for the most part, the scam, 25000 and above, you never had a chance of winning, says James Lee Hernandez, co-directors of McMillions, a thrilling six-part HBO series produced by Mark Wahlberg that digs into the wild scam behind the fame promotion, uh, one involving FBI stings, mobsters, drugs, and naturally, Ronald McDonald. All right, I actually know kind of the, the backstory behind this a little bit, uh, Provolone, and this is a fantastic thing. And I, I haven't seen it on HBO. I'll probably wait for it to get streamed somewhere. It's a six-part series. Um, so it'll be this summer, I'm sure, when I watch it. But this is a conspiracy, folks. This is fun, okay? I'm upset as you finding this out that I never had. I had two of everything waiting to get Park Place, man, or boardwalk where were you i got too many baltic avenues and you know I, it was i probably got a cup somewhere with the peel still on it you know to find out what it is but they had security guards 
They had printers. They had a, a line of people involved with this that would collect these prizes, and then they'd turn around. Anyway, it is, uh, it is amazing, like the, the conspiracy behind this. And the term conspiracy is actually used in its real form, not some other, you know, JFK or Titanic or 9-11. No, this is actually a true conspiracy that involved layers of people doing orchestrated things with McDonald's Monopoly. So uh, check it out, folks. By the way, that's headlines. We have uh, all the links available at thecrudelife.com right on our show page. And so if you want to read the whole story in their entirety, instead of just, you know, coming to terms with what the information is in two paragraphs like we just did, and now we're going to move on with our life, you can read the whole stories there. Otherwise, stick with us. We here at the Crude Life Podcast are going to take a brief pause and uh, allow our lights to be paid for, our lights to be turned on, and on. then we come back. Where are we at here, Provolone? I just, I, see, I don't like this. I, I, I need to stall. Okay, there we go. All right, we've got Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News coming up around the bend, and Matt Cruz to close the program talking about short-term pain equals long-term gain. But first, I do want to mention our sponsor today, BMA Biotech. They are a diverse company which develops a wide range of oilfield chemicals and oil spill remediation products, as well as providing a wide range of environmental services to the oil and gas industry. They provide their clients with cost-effective and sustainable solutions for their oil field chemical and environmental needs. For more information, visit bmabiotech.com. That's bmabiotech.com. Or visit the Crude Life Podcast show page for the links there. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here. We are sitting in the Hatch Coaching Studios, and we are patiently waiting for Provolone to get his act together so that we can go ahead and be joined by Mr. Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News on our Bakken Barbecue phone line. By the way, I will be emceeing the Bakken Barbecue this year. Uh, once again, and I'm very excited to be a part of that. Make-A-Wish, uh, North Dakota, and we do some fantastic things there. Last year, they raised six figures for the Bakken Barbecue, and it, you know, it's, we'll be doing some stories on it later on, but uh, thank you very much to the committee and the staff for asking me and allowing me to be a part of the uh, Bakken Barbecue, which I, I, every year I cry. When we bring those kids up there on stage and we let the people interact and engage with these kids and, and they can talk about their wishes and their dreams and how the oil and gas industry comes together to allow these local communities to send children on once in a lifetime experiences. It just, it brings a tear to your eyes. So uh, thank you very much to the Bakken Barbecue Committee for asking me to be the MC of the Bakken Barbecue this June. And are we ready, Provolone? Okay, great. Jim Willis with Marcellus Drilling News on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News. Boy, those levels look really good. Mines are a little hot, so Provolone, just uh, turn that mic down a little bit. All right, thank you very much. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News, joining us here today. And I wanted to bring him on to get an update, of course, from the East Coast and the Marcellus area, the Marcellus Utica, just, you know, a nice 
up to date what's going on as, as we are a couple months into 2020. But as I'm looking at his website, MarcellusDrillingNews.com, I'm seeing an article that is headlined, John Hess says shale oil close to peak. Global warming is real. And, uh, you know, we just talked about Hess yesterday on how he said, you know, it's plateaued and um, they're ramping up some of their projections. And, and we actually spun it into a different conversation about rig counts, how we have to revamp rig counts. And I'd like to get back to the rig count thing in just a second. But uh, talk to me a little bit about that. John Hess says shale oil close to peak and global warming is real. Is it is it coming off of that plateau comment that he said? Yeah, I, I believe it is. So he, he was, uh, it's nice to be on your program, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, John was speaking yesterday in Houston um, at an Argus event, a crude, a crude event that they host. And, um, and I came across a couple of different articles, and the, the one I happened to pull from was uh, a Reuters article um, talking about uh, his comments at that event. And, and, it, and it, it kind of struck me for a couple of reasons. So, you know, I write about uh, largely the Marcellus and Utica in the Northeast, um, which covers you know, basically Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. And, uh, and it's largely about natural gas, although we, we do some liquids, you know, we have natural gas liquids, we have some oil, some, some crude uh, that's produced out of our basins as well. But um, when I saw that, you know, those comments from him, I mean, he's, he is, uh, he's, a, he's a big deal. Right. I mean, Hess is a, is a huge company and they have big operations in the Bakken. And so when I see someone like, a, a, you know, a John Hess um, talking about, you know, uh, that shale oil in particular across the different plays, uh, the Bakken and the Permian in particular, is uh, close to peaking and is going to be heading, you know, in the downward direction. Um, that kind of catches my attention um, for a, a lot of different reasons. Um, but, you know, he's a respected uh, industry figure. And, we, you know, as much as I'd like to, I can't just dismiss what he says um, because he's, you know, he's dialed into this stuff. So so my, my take on this was, and, and the thing that I focused on were a few of, of the comments uh, that he said, um, and he said, you know, one of the quotes was, uh, U.S. shale is important, but it's not the next Saudi Arabia. Um, and uh, I saw that, gee, yeah. You know, gee, it's like, well, we're producing more than Saudi Arabia, so <laughs> it's coming from shale. So uh, what does he really mean by that comment, you know? So that, that kind of intrigued me. And he also said, essentially, I'm putting this in my own words, but he said that he's going to drill all he can in the Bakken, you know, over the next few years. And he's going to use that money so he can buy up offshore oil plays because that's where the real action is in the future. You know, I, I took similar things away from what you took away from John Hess's comments at the uh, Argus America's Crude Summit held in Houston. And... The Saudi Arabia thing I got, but what I kind of took away from that is that this is, you know, it's a global marketplace 
and Hess is going to become global. And, uh-huh. you know, they're going to, you know, you do what they can in, in the States, but not only is um, the, you know, cause really when you look at it, they were, they talked about the shale revolution being a 30 year play and we're close to 10 years in now. So, you know, if there is a plateau of a 10 years and then a little bit and then a, a downward trend after that, okay, I get that. Um, I didn't read it that it would like start peaking on a downward slope. I guess I looked at the word plateau as, okay, we'd kind of level off for a little bit, which uh-huh. I, I get. And that's where I go back to the rig count thing because I, I think this the, the whole notion of how the industry counts rig rigs needs to be redone because they're pumping out more oil than they did before, but yet rig counts continue to go down. So that you don't, you you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that needs to be revamped. Um, What I I took away from it though, was that, uh, you know, for some of these oil companies now, in order to sustain their size, they have to go global and, you know, they, they, they now just have to say it, you know, they knew it before, they had a hard uh-huh. time saying it, American independence and all this stuff. But now uh-huh. the reality is setting in to where, you know what, there's going to be a race for those Arctic leases and there's going to be a race for, you know, African leases and et cetera. That's yeah. just that's yeah. the nature of the beast, though. I kind of looked at it. But um, yeah. anyway, I, I, I thought the comments, too, were interesting. So, uh, by the way, MarcellusDrilling.com is the website if you want to do uh, check out where Jim Willis puts his uh, news and information and his blog posts and, and et cetera. But uh, I, I wanted to get an update uh, from from you on just the energy activity, but also from the environmental political uh, vibe out there as well. I, I know Pennsylvania is a, um, what do they call it, a swing state in the, in the political world. So, you know, it can yeah. go. It can go any way. It's a coal country, but yet pretty progressive too in certain areas. You know, you got Philadelphia. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, let's. Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah, in Pittsburgh. Oh, I love Pittsburgh. By the way, I thought Pittsburgh was going to be dirty and steel mills, and man, I, I went there about twenty years ago and just fell in love with that place. You know, I went it's down. A to, it's a beautiful city. I love Pittsburgh too. Oh, I went down to the Pirates game and just enjoyed. Oh yeah, and, and that's a great stadium, oh, isn't it? Just enjoyed myself down by the river complex and. Uh, talk to me about what's going on in Pennsylvania and the Marcellus and Utica. Sure. Well, um, so in Pennsylvania, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting uh, dichotomy. Um, I mean, if if you know, if if we want to talk about the election, you know, if if the election were held today, because of uh, most Democrat candidates' words about banning fracking. Um, you know, there's a lot of angst amongst the uh, the Democrats in Pennsylvania because they know that they're you know they're not going to win the state. It's not going to go blue or you know with uh, with that kind of talk. So the, even though you have those pockets, like we said in Philly and Pittsburgh, that are that you know tilt to the left, um, the rest of the state is uh, I would say is pretty much um, pro-fracking, you know, pro-shale. They see the benefits, um, especially in the northeastern part of the state, which is not, you know, I'm, so where I live and write is in the Binghamton, New York area. So I always joke that I work behind enemy lines um, because, you know, the state here has, 
uh, you know, at least for the time being, has banned fracking. Um, but, you know, 15 miles from where I'm, I'm sitting right now, across the border is Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. And in Susquehanna County, um, it's, you know, some, uh, there's, well, the example I always use is uh, there's uh, one company, Cabot Oil and Gas, I mean, there's more companies that drill there, but Cabot Oil and Gas um, drills uh, exclusively in Susquehanna County. And they produce by themselves um, about two and a half percent of all the natural gas that's produced in the United States today. And that's one company in one county and, uh, you know, not far from where I am. So needless to say, with uh, the money that's been pumped into that economy in Susquehanna County and in the northeastern part of the state, you know, very, very pro-shale, you know, in, in those parts of the state. So Now, you've got, is it Governor Wolf? Is my memory correct? That's correct. Okay. Has yeah. he kind of come out for or against it and and i'll preface it by saying and obviously you know what's going on in colorado they're leading the charge on the trying to do the the anti-frac at the state level new mexico's governor kind of made some interesting comments in her state state of the state or state of the union whatever they call it down there and uh to where the headlines read you know no love for oil and gas and so she uh-huh. she tried to tiptoe it a little bit, but the industry basically called her out and saying, "Okay, no, you're not going to have your cake and eat it here too. You're going to have to pick a, pick a side here." Um, what's going on with the like like the governor at the state level? You mentioned something about the the, the some of the Democrats are realizing the economic and the um, energy impact it's going to have, and so it sounds like they're being somewhat you know logical in this whole thing and not getting caught up in the platitudes. Go ahead. Well, yeah, with, with Wolf, he's, he's an interesting uh, study. Um, I guess the best way that I could characterize it is um, he's certainly not as bad as, as we could have. Um, but he's, he's, you know, he, he's not a, a full throated uh, endorser of, of uh, shale energy. Um, so what he, what he does, what he's doing right now and has been doing for a number of years is he's trying to enact a severance tax um, on the production uh, in addition to a tax that already exists. So there's something called an impact fee, which is really an impact tax, and, it's, uh, and the activity is taxed in a slightly different way than a severance tax. Severance tax, of course, any production that comes out of the ground, you pay a certain percentage as a tax. With an impact fee, um, uh, the producers are paying um, for every well they drill, they pay a certain amount the first year and then a certain amount the next year, and, and it goes on for like five or six years, something like that. And so it ends up being... Um, roughly the equivalent of a severance tax is is what it ends up being in the end. Um, Wolf has, uh, you know, in, in classic Democrat style, he's promised, you know, a grab bag of goodies, all of these wonderful things that can be yours for five, you know, four point five billion dollars that I could raise by enacting a severance tax on top of the existing impact tax, which would catapult Pennsylvania into uh, having the highest, if you, if you were to combine them, the highest severance tax in the nation. 
So it's a, it's a, you know, it's an existential threat. Um, the only thing that holds it back is that Pennsylvania's uh, legislature, both the uh, the House delegates and the Senate, are both controlled by Republicans, and so they've been a check against his uh, call, you know, year after year to an, to enact a severance tax. So, so on that side, he's he threatens the industry. On the other side, though, he he does allow pipelines. Um, his uh, Department of Environmental Protection. Um, is you know plays ball with 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 the producers and granting permits and you know not only permits for drilling but for you know for the pipeline activities and all that um, you know there's always a push and a pull with any environmental agency there's always problems there's delays you know they take too long to issue their permits et cetera et cetera but you know overall they play ball they do a pretty good job um, so you know on balance he he you know he could have uh, he could have really uh, done great harm to the industry, but he has not. And so for that, we'll give him maybe not a gold star, we'll give him a silver star. Um, and it's, so it's, you know, it, it's going okay at this point. Marcellus Drilling News, uh, Jim Willis on the phone with us here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the Marcellus. Are, are people finding some success out there still? Are there certain pockets that are hotter than others? You know, down the Permian, you got the Midland area up in the Bakken. You've got Watford City, Williston. Where are some of those areas in the Marcellus where people are finding success? Well, the Marcellus uh, classically in Pennsylvania has always been um, in the northeastern part of the state where there's dry gas and in the southwestern part of the state, you know, around the Pittsburgh uh, metro, you know, that region in the southwestern corner of the state. Um, it, it is found in other parts of the state, in the center part of the state as well, but those are the two primary areas. And in the southwestern part of the state, you have um, you have NGLs, a lot of NGLs, um, maybe even a little bit of crude production. Um, and so in the northeastern part of the state, Traditionally, Chesapeake Energy has been up here, Chief Oil and Gas, Cabot Oil and Gas, Southwestern Energy has a big presence in the northeastern part of the state. Southwestern part of the state, you have uh, companies like CNX Resources, Range Resources. Range, of course, was the, the very first company to actually drill a Marcellus well in the southwestern part of the state. Um, and um, And then you move down into the sort of the northern portion of West Virginia and Antero Resources is a really big driller in that area. And then you you, you kind of uh, shift over into eastern uh, Ohio and the Utica. And frankly, the, um, the Marcellus also juts over there as well. And I, I, I just wrote another uh, post today about Montage Resources because uh, they're increasing their activity in drilling in the Ohio Marcellus, which is, I guess I can't say it. It's, it's just so odd to say Ohio Marcellus. You always say Ohio Utica and Pennsylvania Marcellus, you know, but there's actually Marcellus over there in Ohio, too. So Montage is over there. Encino Energy um, bought out um, Chesapeake's assets in Ohio a few years ago. And so they do quite a bit of drilling over there as well. And I know I'm probably forgetting a few others, but that's 
kind of how it sorts out. And eastern Ohio, again, has, there's sort of the dry gas sections, but a lot of the eastern portion of the state in the Utica, um, you get down into certain counties like Belmont and Monroe and Jefferson, some of those counties, and and there's a lot of uh, liquids, a lot of liquids production over there. So Mark West Energy, uh, which is now MPLX, um, has a lot of processing capacity, processing facilities, fractionation facilities there, um, and um, and over on sort of the Pennsylvania Marcellus side, you, you see a lot of. Uh, um, infrastructure from Williams, for instance. That's sort of a, it's a very, very high-level view of like how it all sorts out. This might be a little outside your reach, but do, do you get much into Michigan? Do you cover Michigan at all? You know, I'll, I'll talk about it periodically um, for different reasons, mostly for pipelines. Okay. So, you know, so the Rover pipeline uh, goes from uh, the uh, western reaches of Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio, all the way through Ohio and up into Michigan, before it goes on and connects uh, to a pipeline system that goes to uh, Sarnia, you know, up to Ontario. Um, and uh, also the Nexus pipeline also heads in that direction. So, and every, and every now and again, I'll see things about um, gas power plants. So, you know, one of the big opportunities in our region, sort of this side of the country, is uh, gas-fired uh, uh, power generation. And uh, so some of that, you know, happens in Michigan and, of course, Illinois and, you know, Indiana and places like that. So because our gas, so, so uh, another pipeline system that goes across the country that reversed part of part of itself is the Rockies Express, right? So used to come out of Colorado and go all the way to Ohio. Um, and, and the Ohio portion all the way back to Missouri, um, trying to reach for the name in my mind, I can't come up with it, but that, that entire portion has reversed its flow to carry Utica and Marcellus gas over into the Midwestern part of the country. So when I see um, stories come around that deal with like power gen and, uh, and major facilities that are using natural gas in that part of the country, Michigan and Illinois and Indiana, um, you know, I will sometimes write about those simply because some of our gas is going to go there because it's coming through wrecks and it's going in that direction. And another, another pipeline story in the Midwestern part of the the country I've, I've written about is uh, Spire, you know, it's a St. Louis uh, company, a uh, utility uh, that built uh, a short pipeline to connect to Rex in order to move that Utica and Marcellus gas into the St. Louis market. So our gas, you know, reaches not only the East Coast and the Southeast, um, we have pipelines that take it to the Gulf Coast and we have pipelines that take it to the Midwest and up into Canada as well. Are you guys hearing or feeling any of the pressure from the youth like they are in some of the other cities and states? And, you know, Michigan, they had some kids go before a, a city declaring climate emergency. We had it in Fargo. Yep. Um, it's just, it's, yep. you know, it's popping up all over the place. And uh, what's the what's the vibe out there in Pennsylvania? Well, in Pennsylvania, in so I recently put together, in anticipation of our talk today, actually, in another talk I recently gave, I kind of put together my list of 
threats. You know, what are the things that, that I see that I'm concerned about in 2020? Um, and, and one of those uh, you just mentioned, which is uh, uh, the, the way I would classify this, um, yes, th- there is that sort of movement out here, um, typically um, on, on college campuses. And the, the thing that, um, that I would, uh, th- that comes to mind immediately is something I wrote about today, which is, uh, in, a, in a passing note on in an article that I highlighted, University of Pennsylvania uh, students have been, uh, have been uh, protesting and demanding, and they've been doing this for months, maybe even more than a year, that the school uh, divest itself, its investments, from anything to do with fossil fuels. And so the University of Pennsylvania, uh, until now, has pushed back and said, no, you know, our, our investments are, are not going to make political statements and that sort of thing. But they did make an announcement recently that they will, that they are divested and will not invest in anything to do with thermal coal and oil sands. Um, and I guess the, the question that I have is, you know, how much longer will it be before that migrates into something else? Um, and, and we have this all over the place. It's, you know, it's not just Pennsylvania and, and, and other, you know, in New York State, of course. Um, but there's this, this move on to uh, force investment firms and banks to stop doing business, to stop investing in or loaning money to um, any companies that have anything to do with producing fossil fuels. And I, and that concerns me, you know, it, it bugs me and it concerns me. And yes, we do have it here. Maybe not quite as much as someplace like California, but it is here. We did a headline last week. We talked about it on our podcast. Uh, Terry Edom and I, the author, the writer, the blogger up in Canada spoke about this as well. Sacramento, they had a protest where children, they interviewed a 12-year-old in the story. The headline said teens, but the person they interviewed in the story was 12. And they they drenched themselves in fake oil and then to protest the teacher's pension fund. Okay, the teacher's pension fund, they used children to drench them in oil to go to the state capitol in protest to divest their teachers' pension fund from fossil fuel companies. That, I mean, that, that is, to me, using children for a specific use, like a weapon, like I've ever seen. And well, don't, yeah, don't, get, don't get me started on that. I consider that brainwashing. You know, I, I mean, that's just, I think that's child abuse to do something like that. But here's the thing. Those, those poor little children that are frankly ignorant, they, they really don't know any better. And I don't care if they're 12. I don't care if they're 22 in college. It's, it's, it's the same mindset. And what they don't realize as they're protesting and demanding these things, like petulant children, you know, demanding that they divest, um, they don't even stop to consider that the clothes on their body are made out of fibers that come from oil and gas, that the sneakers on their feet come from oil and gas, that the signs that they're holding, if they're made out of a plastic material, you know, come from oil and gas, um, that, that the vehicles they got to those protests in uh, are, are made from oil and gas and powered by oil and gas. And it's, 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 
what I, 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 I mean this is just um I don't know what the word is. It's uh, it's schizophrenic. It's ludicrous, you know, to to protest something that your very life depends on. This is what's concerning to me, though, is because there are leaders out there that either are political leaders or industry leaders, or I'll even say it, you know, uh, law enforcement leaders at some point. I'm not saying police, but at some point, somebody of some authority has to set in and say, because you said brainwashing. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would. I mean, I certainly, I, I wouldn't hold you back from arguing your, your point on it. I think it's more yeah. along the lines of, you know, uh, child abuse and, and certain things along those lines. Because I look at it like this, where it's gotten so accepted to bash fossil fuels that parents now are bringing these kids to protests like like they would to a soccer game and then probably going out for pizza and and talking about what a great job they did so it's it's a totally different and that's the part i don't think the energy industry understands they're up against right now is it is an accepted form of bullying and they're using children as their their weapon and it's it's a fight that i don't think they're equipped for uh, the energy industry is very brash, very logical, and that doesn't do well with children. I mean, try to raise a teenager on logic. <laughs> Good luck on that. You know, yeah, I mean, really. you know, I, I always laugh because, you know, we're talking about the climate, one of the most complex things ever. OK, and I would even say it's probably even more complex than a teenager. We don't even know how to raise teenagers yet. How can we figure out the climate? I mean, these are complex systems, and we think that a computer model is going to figure it out. That's a different topic for a different day. But getting back to the the kids and everything, um, what, what do you make of that? You know, you're in the media. Uh, at what point does the media have a responsibility to say, okay, California teacher's pension, you don't get to use kids anymore. You, you can go and dress up like children. And, and do that, but stop using kids for your own personal gain, because that is a personal gain when you're, when you're talking about a teacher's fund versus the planet. I mean, a planet was a stretch before, but now they're actually, you know, going to different bank accounts and talking like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, kids are, are being made into celebrities, you know, Greta Thunberg, for instance, um, and I, I feel bad about that. I mean, I'm angry in, in some senses that that happens, um, but I feel bad for, for Greta. And, uh, and I, I too. you know, I, I just, I think it's, it's a tragedy. Um, you know, you don't, kids are off limits. Um, they're off limits in politics. I don't care, you know, who's running and how much I detest their positions. Their kids are off limits. You know, that's, that, that's, you don't go there. And I think equally when it comes to this issue, um, kids should be off limits. And to use them for sound bites and to pull on heartstrings, you know, it's, it, it's just wrong. I want to ask you another pontification I've made where some have called me the shale play prophet and others have called me crazy. But either way, I've been called worse um with this environmental movement and i said as soon as time magazine anointed uh, greta thunberg as time person of the year that made existential fear cool and that that allowed children to 
yeah. make it cool to brag about being afraid of of smoke. And um, when that happened, all I could think of was that there's going to be some parent out there that's going to look at their kid and look at Greta and think, you know what? My daughter or my son will be the next Aaron Brockovich against, you know, X, Y, Z. I, I see that coming. I do. I just, I really yeah. do. What, what's your thought on that? Am I crazy or can you see that? Oh, no. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, it's, it's just a matter of time. Um, what strikes me about all of this is that it's, it's not organic, in my opinion. This isn't just happening. Uh, it's not just popping up here and there uh, spontaneously. Uh, this is a well-crafted, well-funded uh, campaign. And, uh, you know, there are certain groups that are behind it uh, and certain people that are funding it. And, and that's what, what truly, you know, that, that's, I think, is where we have to, that's where we have to, to get in there and rip the mask off and make people understand this is, you know, the, the classic setup is, you know, the, oh, the poor environmental movement, you know, uh, David against big oil Goliath. And frankly, it's the other way around. Um, they're, they're the ones that have far more money and are far better funded and coordinated um, than we are, than our response, you know, mm -hmm. sticking up for fossil fuels. So I'm going to ask you one more question then, as long as I'm on a roll with you agreeing with me, because a lot of times I go to conferences and I, I'll talk to people in the industry and they don't agree with me on some of the things I'm talking about. Uh, one of the things that I've been saying since last summer uh, publicly, even at conferences that I speak at and here on the, this program, is I, I think the energy industry has made a mistake. And the mistake I think they've made is, especially in the last couple of years, I believe they've been fighting and being in the midst of an energy debate while the opposition and the activists have shifted it to a public health debate. What, uh -huh. what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yes, they, they have. But the, the problem is, is that when we respond to those public health issues and we expose, I, I've seen dozens of different, like, frankly, sham studies, quote unquote, you know, that are published in, quote, peer-reviewed journals, that, that say, you know, fracking causes STDs, for instance. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Uh, by the way, but I saw that. I saw but, that. Un unbelievable. But, but their, you know, their logic is uh, because these, you know, these dirty, you know, tobacco chewing roustabouts, you know, move into an area and they're going to uh, they're going to screw everything around. And I mean, it, it just it, it's so it, it's it's disgusting. You know, their prejudice. It just reeks and things like that. But even when, when you take away the distraction of the outrageousness behind it, you have to say, God, somebody actually funded a study to do that. I know. Yeah, exactly. And, and you yeah. know, if it would have came any other way, they wouldn't have talked about it. So a lot, yeah. of, a lot of these studies that they're funding are predetermined before they even write the check. Of course, of course. So anyway, so sorry, there, go on. So there, yeah, so there's not, you know, so, and then there's studies about, you know, uh, mothers that live close to fracking have low birth weight babies, 
And, uh, you know, and, and, and then there's, of course, the, the classic from the beginning with the gas land was it's going to pollute your water. And you come back and you show chapter and verse, it, you refute it. You say, look, there's no scientific basis here. In fact, we can prove that this is not happening. And, uh, and, and but by then, you know, the, the, the seed has been planted months or years before that this is going on. So when you come along and, and actually refute this, um, it's, you know, it falls on deaf ears at that point. So, um, so we, you know, we, we keep trying to fight this, I don't know, losing battle of going around and debunking all of these things, these health debate things. Um, and and, and, and so, that, that's the crosswords where I'm at, because, I mean, you could give somebody uh, a verified scientific study that has been cross-checked by every country, every scientist, and blah, blah, blah. And they'd look at it like it was, you know, a turd sandwich. They don't care yeah, at all. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. they'll, they'll show you some website that's got some tweets and, you know, and 2 plus 2 equals 10. And, and they'll look at that and they'll say, well, this, look, look at this. And they'll show you something they find on their internet versus, I mean, like I said, verified data. I'm not there now. There's a difference between verified science and political science. Okay, yeah. verified science is when you've got multiple uh, people that don't know they're checking on the same science, and then you get it done at the same time. You re re release the results at the same time, so that way you can see if it actually works out the same because if you've got all kinds of different results well then that's not really science that's just somebody trying to do political science which is uh, create a paper to advance something along the way and boy that makes sense because that was pretty ambiguous i guess boy i kind of lost my yeah. myself on that one sometimes oh, i get well. on my own soapbox and i got i got to step <laughs> back you know it's 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 this new podcast format we're on we're more flu, free flowing and and, and uh, loose you know like a blog you can just kind of do right. whatever so uh anyway uh just kind of you, you're yeah what's so what 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 can we do is the is the is the question what can we do well, I mean, here's been my observation. My, my observation has been, so over time, I think we've, we have had some success in countering these arguments that, you know, these, these health arguments that, that cycle around, um, answering these sort of, you know, these slurs and accusations with actual science and data that, that show that it's not happening. And so what happens is they just drop it and move on to the next thing. And the next thing is the ultimate. So, so this is how it progresses. It goes from those like health arguments. Okay, we, we didn't prove that. That didn't really strike a nerve. We couldn't shut it down with that. But they, they then pivot and say, but you know what? Uh, this, uh, you know, this methane that you're getting out of the ground, this oil you're getting, it, it's killing the planet. And so they pivot the argument over to global warming, man-made global warming, and uh, we, you know, we must stop using fossil fuels, and uh, and they put all of their efforts into that. And I mean, who can who can argue against that? I mean, you know, all you know, serious scientists uh, believe this, and uh, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere, and and we have to do something about it. And and so uh, and so, but but every now and again, just for good measure, they'll return and and do another health study just to sort of lob it on there and make sure that they can keep that fire stoked a little bit. But then they'll go back to global warming again. 
Right. They always go back to consensus science. They never yeah. they, they never go to real science. They go to consensus science, which you know it's correct. It's it's kind of the same thing that they do in in mobs, right? Mob rules. Whoever you, you yeah. know, if you, if you got the most votes, you win. I mean, that's um the way it is. Anyway, well, uh, we could sit and sit at the bar stool all day and talk about life's worries and that sort of thing. But, uh, so talk to me how you make money, how people can give you some money and, uh, how people can be entertained and educated and informed by the things that you do for the energy industry. Well, uh, thank you for, for that opportunity. And that's, you know, as, as you know, Jason, this, the industry to me, it's fascinating. Um, but, you know, it can be dry. So I try to inject what I write with some humor and, uh, you know, make a few jokes and, and, and be kind of lighthearted. So I, you know, I kind of bring the news with a twist. So I'm writing every day. You know, my, my routine is to get up at five in the morning and I start in and I'm reviewing the news and I'm looking for those things that, you know, my mantra is how can we make money, um, with, uh, with this activity in the Marcellus and the Utica region. Um, and so the, the filter, the lens that I see through every day is what news pieces would be potentially profitable for people, you know, whether they're uh, in the industry, you know, working for a producer or a pipeline company or a petrochemical company, or maybe they're a landowner or they're a lawyer or a government official, whoever they are, you know, they, they all come at it from a different perspective, but I'm trying to bring them the news on a daily basis. Uh, and I publish by noon every day. I put stories out there so that people can uh, read those. I do um, give a little bit away for free, uh, but it costs uh, $7.95 a month if uh, you would like to read full articles. And, uh, and I always offer the opportunity for people to sign up just to get the headline. If you just want to see what I even be remotely interested in this, um, sign up in my email list, um, which is right on the home page on the right-hand side. You can sign up to get the daily email Monday through Friday. So as soon as my articles are published, that email goes out with a list and a link to the articles. And you can just sample it a little bit and see, you know, yeah, that looks kind of interesting, or it doesn't look interesting. You know, it's not for everyone. I understand that. I I, I write largely about um, the natural gas industry because that's really what our plays are all about, mostly. NGLs to some degree, and petrochemicals now to some degree because of the NGLs that we have in our region, ethane in particular. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a Monday you know Monday through Friday. Uh, I've been doing this for years now and uh and i get to the odd uh industry conference here and there as well um and um and it's uh you know it's a blast i mean i I just think it's a fantastic industry and i and i'm uh, a dyed-in-the-wool supporter and uh and you know part of my mission is to bring the truth of this industry uh to the masses so i i get about I don't know. I on a on a typical monthly basis, I'm getting around fifty thousand unique people are coming and reading something on the website. Well, we sure hope you'll come back and be a part of the Crude Life podcast and our other platforms because uh, our motto this year is "Ready for Anything." And so far, as soon as I like, it, we talked earlier about draping the kids and 
fake oil and using it to fight a teacher's pension fund. I mean, already we are not even into February. I mean, we are into February now, but then we weren't. Boy, you can't get much more ready than that. I mean, boy, I tell you, it's it's right out of the gates, and we haven't even started the political season yet. I mean, we got people, yeah, really. we got people out there getting paid to go fight the good fight, and they're already posting messages on social media. They're tired. I mean, it's not, yeah. We, yeah. we haven't even got out of the first quarter yet, people. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I I do think it's for the long term. Oh, you mark my word, the Green New Deal and the environment is going to be the number one topic going into this year's election. And Trump is going to combat it with the economy. And I'll tell you, it is going to be a war of where Trump actually is going to have the logic and the platitudes are going to come at the other side. And it's going to be it's going to be absolute nonsense. I mean, it's it's I like I said, ready for anything because you've got, well, we start talking about the, you know, the different sciences and things like that. I mean, when, when your elected officials are just bowing down now because somebody shows a picture of, you know, a, a goose covered in oil from 15 years ago, what can you do? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a tough go, but, um, well, sir. All right. Well, let's see. Marcellusdrilling.com is the website. Jim Willis is his name and, uh, we'll be chatting down the line, sir. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks. I don't need nobody to tell me who to be. Don't need nobody to tell me what I see. I don't need nobody to tell me if I'm safe swimming. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, the Davis Refinery. And that's going to do it for today's Crude Life podcast. I'd like to thank Provolone for manning the production elements of the studio here and the Hatch Coaching Studios. John Clark with Clark Energy Consulting for an update with NAEP. And Jim Willis with the Marcellus Drilling News talking about Marcellus Utica, Michigan, as well as, boy, integrating uh, children into politicking and energy Politics. Wow. I mean, it's something else. Uh, great conversation with Mr. Jim Willis. Of course, all those interviews are available at thecrudelife.com in their entirety. Thank you, Moody River Band, for being our Crude Life crossover here as we continue to cross over into people that do not work in the oil and gas industry any way we can. And one of the ways we do is through music. So at thecrudelife.com on our show page, we do have links to the Moody River Band. They give away their music for free, by the way. They don't charge for it. So if you're interested in this type of music, go check them out, download it. They'd appreciate it. They're they're sponsors of of the program. We're sponsors of them. It's a great relationship, the Moody River Band. 
Okay, also, folks, all of the links and topics we talked about today, including the headlines, are available at thecrudelife.com on our show page. And that's going to do it today. Tomorrow, we got our week in review. Very excited about that because that means the week's over and I get to kick back a little bit and only work eight hours a day because it's the weekend. All right. Yay. All right. There we go, Provolone. A little bit of your future. And I'm a single dad on top of that because I got to raise my kid on top of the small business too. So you're learning a lot here at The Crude Life. All right, folks, from the staff here at The Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Matt Cruz from Huskerland Oilfield Services. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Matt Cruz, the owner of Huskerland Oilfield Services, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. For us, um, you know, some of the largest, everything for us has been direct MSAs with the, with the energy producers. Because I think at times where guys, you know, especially the smaller outfits that, you know, everybody everybody and their mom has a flowback company now. And what you find is you had guys, you know, I, I talked to a guy the other day, he was got a hold of me, hey, do you ever need uh, contractors that we could supplement what you have going on? And, you know, I, I said, hey, what, what's your business model? Are, are you supplying, you know, third-party contractors or are you, you know, have direct MSAs and you're going that way? He said, we're trying to do both. And I said, you can't do both. You can do both. If it's a cash grab, for me, it hasn't been a cash grab. You know, it's a, a long process. Won the first national championship that, that uh, was fortunate enough to be a part of it. And it took 10 years, you know, like I've been in this going on eight and I, I know it's a process. Everything doesn't happen overnight. For us, it's been everything going straight uh, to the producers, handling the production mostly. We've done uh, contract pumping and ran some consultants and Done odd jobs, roustabout stuff, piecing, you know, crews together, uh, short nose type stuff, but really uh, production. You know, the thing is, when you, when guys are trying to do both, it's like if they've got their guys that they're servicing their, their MSAs with and they're trying to sell guys on running, thir- you know, third-party guys, well, you're not going to get their best guys because they're going to tend to their accounts. And, uh, you know, on, on the flip side, if you're running their guys to fill their accounts and they're trying to get MSAs with guys, now there's a conflict of interest where you're like, can I really trust her? These guys just trying to get close to try to steal accounts. So for me, I never wanted to be in that in the wishy-washy gray area. You know, so I don't I, I don't like to do third party stuff unless it's slow and I myself am going out to stay busy. So I'm making making sure, you know, paying the insurances, paying you know, uh, every, everything that needs to, any expense that we may have. So where I'll go and subcontract, but I don't like to subcontract through service companies and then run third party. I, I, I don't personally. So like I said, it's not about how big we can get. It's always been about just doing the best you can. I haven't been money motivator. I wouldn't have been a coach for as long as I was, you know, it's like every day out here, I try to relate to baseball in certain different ways. And that was Matt Cruz, the owner of Huskerland oil field services. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to check out our social media page. 300,000 followers we have on our different social media pages from the Facebook to the YouTubes, even the Twitters and LinkedIns. Go to thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab for all of our pages. Like, follow, share, 
We'd appreciate it very much. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.